I'm Bill Crystal, editor of the Weekly Standard. I thought Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton would be the worst things that happened this year. I didn't know about this podcast. This sword is hundreds of years old. It was named Danza by the first samurai who used it. Danza means separator. The ideal weapon for separating head and limb from body. What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Third time's the charm. That's our motto here at the Weekly Substandard. Or maybe it's three strikes, you're out. I'm Victor Mattis, along with Jonathan Last and Sonny Bunch. We're going to be talking about a truly divisive subject today. Yes, I'm talking about Marvel versus DC. Where do your allegiances lie? Plus, plus we've got a ton of corrections to go through. But first, about last night. Wow. I mean, just, wow. I, I only had a couple of hours of sleep. I'm still recovering from it. I just... Can't believe it happened. Jonathan, what do you think? When are we going to learn our lesson about the exit polls? You can't. Again, they fooled us. You can't ever pay attention. If 2016 taught us anything, is that we're absolutely ignoring the exits next time around. I, I absolutely agree. Sonny, what did you think about North Carolina? Wow. North Carolina, man. You know, you just, you just couldn't really see that one coming. They did so well. Uh, and, but then, you know, also it all came down to turnout. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it this was, election was, was all turnout. about turnout. This election was all the, about turnout. The whole, the whole thing, and, and we, we never stop uh, forgetting this, is that it always comes down to turnout. No, you know, the way the polls shifted in New Hampshire in a couple of weeks before the election, that to me made the Granite State a real surprise, despite the early votes in Dixie Notch. Wow. And, and can you guys really— uh, I think it's Dixville. Dixville Notch. Dixie, whatever. Dixie. Dixie's Notch is something else. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that's from, like— the Designing women. Yes, exactly. I was going to say Dixie Normus, but that's from uh, Austin Powers. Oh my God! Sorry. Uh, it's already going. You know, blue. It already. Going it all came down to Cuyahoga County, didn't it? Vic? It did. You know, the crucial Harris County in Texas. It's always about that. It didn't come down to the crucial Waukesha County, which, as we know, is like the most crucial county uh, because Wisconsin, of all the unfortunately, uh, was just you know they just blew it away there, and it was. What did what did you, what did you think, uh, Sonny, about the electoral college results? Wow. I mean, you know. Every every four years we go through this, you know, why doesn't the Electoral College, you know, match up with the popular vote necessarily? You know, who are we relying on here? Dead white men. But instead, you know, we I think I think we were all uh, pretty, pretty comfortable with the way things shook out last night or not, you know, depending on if or you're not. on the other side of the aisle. Uh, yeah, because, you know, no matter the way, no matter how you look at it, you know, people are still very upset. Right. The losers, of course. The ones who didn't choose this person as our president-elect, you know, I yeah. mean, this is what we didn't happens. choose. My <laughs> uh, Jonathan, uh, what surprised you the most? You know, this has been such an amazing and historic year, Victorino, and I, as I, my capacity as a political reporter, spent a lot of time on the ground following these people around yeah, Iowa yeah, and New Hampshire, yeah, right. watching both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump up close, and. As as we sort of should have come to expect, expect the unexpected, an, an amazing and historic result mm -hmm. for an amazing mm -hmm. and historic mm -hmm. election. 
Oh, that's just – I couldn't have said it any better than that. And, and really, as you know, even after this election, America will continue to remain to be divided. And, but that's not the only thing that's dividing Americans, is it, Sonny? No. <laughs> what else divides America? You know, I really think the preeminent uh, clash of our time is between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the DC film universe, which we had another taste of this weekend. Uh, when Dark, Doctor Strange grossed uh, a large sum of money to go ahead and uh, prove that Marvel, once again, cannot turn out a failing product. It's just a assembly line over there. Even if it looks like Inception. It looks a little bit like it. So Doctor Strange is Explain about – Explain what's is, happening because I, right. thought, I thought I had seen this movie, but that was Doctor Strange Love. Doctor Strange Love, also very good. Uh, and in really, a different way, though, a, wouldn't in, you say? Yes, in a very, in a very Doctor Strange love, of course, which calls to mind the results of last night. And oh, the, yes. the, you know, the just brinksmanship the and the uh, uh, the uh, no, but uh, so Doctor Strange is about a uh, a neurosurgeon who gets in, who is a very haughty individual, and he gets into a car crash and it destroys his hands, and he wants to, he needs to, he needs to. Uh, uh, Fix them so he he goes, runs for president as a Republican. He, so he goes no. to he he goes to uh, all sorts of doctors and none of them are able to help him until finally he goes to the Mystic East and is able to uh, receive instruction from the Ancient One, who mm-hmm. is a Celtic uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, who teaches him how to uh, use the powers of the universe to do magic. Kind of, it's yeah, so, don't you don't want to think about it too hard. So frankly. Tilda Swinton is a, a Celtic, a Celtic, a bald living Celtic in, living in the ancient a, one in, in, in ancient Kathmandu. East. In Kathmandu, Kathmandu, okay. yeah, right. right. It makes a lot of sense if you, if you you know consider it. Uh, they, Doctor Strange has to, uh, Doctor Stephen Strange has to overcome his many uh, personal flaws to accept the blah 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 and save the world. It's as, rather, as, as always, it's, it's, so his name is Doctor. His real name is Strange. That's Doctor like, Stephen Strange. Yes, that's there's a it. joke early in the film about how, you know, they didn't want to name some life-saving new uh, uh, procedure, mm-hmm. the strange procedure, because, you know, obviously that would be very, uh, nobody would want well, to get the strange no, procedure. But it, it reminds me of a podiatrist that lived on Connecticut Avenue, true story. His name was Dr. Corn. Yeah. You like that? I just Oof. sort of, I just ended that Oof. abruptly. Uh, uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, it is, in, in, the, in the spirit of the Marvel movie, it is kind of funny, and it's, it's very kind of cookie cutter. I will say that it is the most visually... Uh, unique of these films. It, 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 as you mentioned, it looks kind of like Inception with the folding buildings and the rearranged geography. But if you did like a big hit of LSD beforehand, right? If you were – and it, in this, it kind of resembles the old Steve Ditko drawings, the the, the kind of trippy uh, geometric designs with the curves. Mm-hmm. And the blah. Anyway, it's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting looking film. I would recommend seeing it in IMAX 3D and I don't often do that because 3D Wait, is what? the worst. I know. Right, I know, but it actually it actually works. I would say it works about as well as any uh, big budget action movie I've seen in 3D. And I have to see them all in 3D because that's Jonathan, the, you look stunned. What's the well, matter? I just know Sonny has been the the foremost bulwark in America, standing against the pestilence of yes. three dimensional film projection. Yes. And I just it is well because look, can't believe it. Let's be honest here. 3D is a cash grab, pure and simple, right? It is the studios uh, adding an unnecessary special effect so they can charge people more money to wear glasses. Now, as a good capitalist, I have no problem with this. Uh, you know, objectively speaking, aesthetically, I think it's quite disturbing because usually the the 3D effect doesn't add very much to the film, and the glasses themselves are very 
um, as a person who wears glasses and then has to wear the 3D glasses on top of the glasses, they give me a headache. I don't like them. They make the screen dark. I, there's there's I, just too many drawbacks. I wish that the people who made the 3D glasses made regular glasses for my head because those 3D glasses are the only kind that fit my head, assuming that you have glasses on right. top of it. But it fits me perfectly. I just have to take my glasses off and then I can't see anything. We should definitely have a, a, a headshot of you in the body of the text of this post that, that this goes up with. So, yeah, so people, people can, can actually – with like scale, you know, we could have like a, a, the sun not enough space. next to it. Who is the character Vicky. from Marvel? Is it the thinker? Who was his name? The, the Watcher. No, you're thinking of The Watcher. Modoc. <laughs> the Watcher, yeah, the wa- or both, both. I actually didn't know. I just wanted to out you as comic nerds. Okay, so what is the uh, situation then between the Marvel and DC? This battle between, uh, do you, do you find that it's just you know people are either one or the other, a little bit of both, or and where do you guys fall on this? JBL, do you want to do you want to take this one? You know, so growing up as a comic book guy, which I was, and Sonny was kind of a little bit. I was. Yes. I read. I collected comics. Like into college and then stopped. Right. And you, Vic, you were a comic book guy basically until it stopped being acceptable, at which point you like you found girls and did sports (laughs) and were a normal human being. Yes, that happened last year. So I just stopped (laughs) collecting last year. Uh, The uh, I collected strictly almost exclusively. I had a few others, but almost exclusively G.I. Joe comics. Yes. In the early 19 when when they originally uh, had come out in the 1980s. G.I. Joe number 21. I remember you have G.I. Joe number 21. We sent it in to be graded by a comic consortium. They they totally screwed you. That was all your idea. Wait, what happened in G.I. Joe 21? G.I. Joe 21 is the most worthwhile, uh, worthwhile, the most valuable of all the G.I. Joe comic books because it is the silent issue. Oh, yes. There's no dialogue on it. It features snake eyes on the cover, like rappelling down a building, firing an Uzi, and it is the first appearance and origin of Storm Shadow. So it was a two Which ninja. Storm Shadow? He's the ninja. God, you're despicable. I am not a, I'm not a G.I. Joe guy. I don't, and this was never a It thing was ninja versus ninja, essentially. I mean, uh, Storm Shadow, well, not nearly. But you know what? This is, it's funny because it kind of reminds me of that first, uh, Batman movie with Liam Neeson, like they had the special tattoos, and so what happens in... I'm sorry, the first Batman movie, the <laughs> one with Liam Neeson? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, JBL. that's what I'm what coming, we, I'm coming what to. What are we going to do with this guy? <laughs> so uh, let me just finish my comic book oh, yeah, anecdote here. So I bet you even got to go to Homecoming with a girl, huh? <laughs> what was that like? Well, let me, anyway, let me just get back to the story here. <laughs> this is this is for, this is is for a family-rated uh, show. The, uh, they, they, they battle each other. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, and Snake Eyes is with G.I. Joe, and Storm Shadow works for Cobra. And it's all silent, as Jonathan says. And then in the end, there's a scene where you see their two arms are locked, and they both have the same, like, mysterious tattoo on their forearm. Then it's realized there's something deeper going on, and that's why it supposedly was worth a lot. What I spent a lot of money on was G.I. Joe number two, because it was a limited edition, and it was, I spent $20, like, in 1983, which was worth, that's, that's a lot of money in 1983 for a kid. But, it went up in, in value, and then they issued a second printing, and then it plummeted uh, in value. Yeah. So that's but that's, that's mostly how they get you. That's how they get you. They actually did a really short run on GI Joe number two, and I shouldn't know that. I'll stop. Um, as I was saying, there is there as a kid growing up, there was a real divide between Marvel comic book readers and DC comic book readers, and I as a kid was a DC guy, oh, almost I'm... exclusively, except for G.I. Joe, which was a Marvel title and I really liked. I didn't really get the Marvel aesthetic. I, I was exclusively uh, Marvel. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? This is the... In retrospect, I now look, and my, my best friend was a Marvel guy almost exclusively, and that was the much more mature and sophisticated choice because the Marvel titles, 
they had range and depth and stories and interpersonal conflicts. And these the, the stories in the Marvel Universe uh, actually progressed over time. They didn't progress in real time, but it was something I think Stan Lee's uh, rule of thumb was that seven years worth of comic books should constitute one year's worth of life within the characters' lives. Uh, and the DC was much more candy colored. It was all just for fun. It was like, you know, sort of weird, bizarre superheroes and, and a lot of laughs. And what's funny is that at least in the public perception in the two cinematic universes, that perception has been flipped on its head. Mm. Where people who like Marvel movies say, oh, I like them because they're fun. And people who like the DC movies say, well, I really like them because they're more serious and they're darker. Mm -hmm. And I find that sort of interesting just because they come from such radically opposite source materials. Uh, and I have to say, as, as I've gotten older, I have fallen back in love with the Marvel comics that I missed as a kid. Like I used to make my best friend, Chris. He was a big Daredevil guy, and I would be like, I'm sorry, he's blind was and this, he's a superhero. Was this like the Frank Miller, Klaus Johnson Daredevil? Or uh, he, this is before the, before that, no, he's, yeah. he's reading like the Chris Claremont, I think, Daredevils, you know, Visionaries. He loved that stuff, and I would sit around and say, this is ridiculous. How could he be a, a superhero? I mean, I was a Batman guy and a Superman guy. And now I've gone back and I've read all the Frank Miller stuff, and, the, and I, <laughs> I kind of love Daredevil because yeah. he does. He's such an odd power set. Yeah. In, and also that Frank Miller run is very – I'll be honest, the only Daredevil run I've read is that Frank Miller run and also a Kevin Smith one later on. But that Frank Miller one is very interesting because, again, he's dealing with like drug-addicted porn stars, you know, and like – and and uh, evil, fat, you know, kingpin criminal types. Well, but the key to the, the – the key to the appeal of the Daredevil character is that Daredevil himself, Matt Murdock, is kind of a dick. Yes, he's the right. only superhero alter ego who the alter ego guy is actually kind of a jerk. And when you read him, you're not always necessarily rooting for him. He does everything wrong, like in but his not, personal life. Not necessarily like a lovable jerk, like a Wolverine Logan. No, totally. No, no, like he's a gruff just kind of. He's just kind of a dick. Just a guy that yeah. you don't actually like very much, and that's interesting. Uh, anyway, so in all that. Yeah, I say I've come late in life to an appreciation of the Marvel comics, but I really love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think it's good, but not for the reasons that people say. Now, when people say, oh, it's just because it's funny and it's humorous and it doesn't take itself too seriously, I think all that precisely misses the point, which is that the governing philosophy of Marvel in this, this particular corporate regime has been to put character and narrative first. And that's where all the success lies. And people used to say, if you think back to the 80s and 90s with the, the Superman and Batman movies, people would say, oh, well, you know, it all depends on what the villain is. You have to have a good villain. If you don't have a good villain, you don't have a good story. Think through the Marvel movies. The villains are almost beside the point. Everything is about the, the characters that are on display. It's the about dynamic. What, the dynamic. What are the character arcs of the Avengers, you know, in the, the original Avenger movies? What is every, every single one of those characters, there are six of them that Joss Whedon juggles in that story, and every one of them has an arc with a beginning, middle, and ending. That's amazing. Sonny, are you more of a DC or a Marvel guy when you were growing up, and what about sort of in the movies now? Uh, I was never uh, a strictly Marvel or DC person. I, w I would say that I grew up mostly reading Marvel books, the Spider-Man books in particular. Curious. <laughs> Amazing uh, web of spectacular and then just regular straight up Spider-Man. Uh, but then also uh, when I got a little older, I was reading a lot of Batman, mm -hmm. you know, the more mature, you know, like really. Frankly, Were you a black uh, suit Spider-Man guy? I no, I, I was I, by the time I started reading comic books, Venom was already a thing. So like I was post black suit Spider-Man. Um, 
but when did when did the movie battle between Marvel and DC right. really happen in earnest? Because they did, as you were mentioning, Jonathan, there were the early, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, there were attempts at mostly DC. Uh, comic, DC owned it, right? I don't remember a Marvel movie coming out. The first Marvel movie that was successful was Blade in nineteen ninety. 1999. Uh, wow. The, with Wesley Snipes. With Wesley Snipes. It's I mean, 1998. This was, yeah. This, this was the first. This was the first Marvel movie that was uh, a big success, both aesthetically and you know in terms and, of business. And, and, there were, and he had sequels too. There, there were there were two sequels. One was by Guillermo del Toro. It was pretty good. The third one was not good. Um, and you know, the and reason, then, one of the reasons why that series was actually successful before they even had all the special effects that we see now is because Wesley Snipes himself is partly a superhero. Yes, he's... he's Most uh, of those things he did were real, right? Exactly. There's no movie magic there. It's just Wesley Snipes magic. Uh, and then after after Blade, you have X-Men, which was kind of the first big budget. I mean, Blade was like kind of mid-budget. X-Men was an 80 or $90 million movie, which was, you know, at the time very big. And that preceded Spider-Man. Um, that was, Spider -Man. That was a big And then Spider-Man was like the... Spider-Man was when like the era of the superhero blockbusters kicked off for good, um, and really, we haven't looked back since. And, Spi and Spider Man was one of the things that I think is underappreciated about the success of that franchise. That Spider Man is the first post nine eleven blockbuster, and it came at a time when people. So nine so eleven happens September of two thousand one, and you have the sort of winters before people did big releases in the winter, and then Spider Man comes out that May, yeah. and just I think it made four hundred million dollars. Yeah. Um, and people just responded to that in a way that I think is actually very of the moment. If you remember, the original Spider-Man trailer had a shot with the Twin Towers yeah. where he slings There's a web like a between web the two of the catches. Uh, and they, they took that shot out. A helicopter, yeah. that's right. And they took that out for it. So that movie, you know, it's set in New York. It's a very fun-loving thing. A, it's a shame, too, because I can imagine how much it costs to get a helicopter suspended between the Twin Towers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they, 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 they ate used. a lot of money the on that. practical the effects that they did on that were amazing. Uh, so Chris then, Nolan had directed that. He would have done it with practical effects. Right. So then, so then DC kind of responds with the Nolan Batman movies, which I know we don't want to discuss too much here. But I think uh, you know the, the DC Batman-verse kind of uh, created – uh, an aesthetic for the DC universe that continues to this day, insofar as it was more realistic, a slightly more uh, grounded. What would what would the world be like if there were superheroes? Type of approach, and this carried most uh, kind of controversially into Zack Snyder's Batman uh, or Zack Snyder's Superman movies, and also Batman for Superman. And then I guess next year in Justice League, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, the, 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 founding, the founding principle of Man of Steel is uh, here is a, a literal Superman, like, an, a, like a kind of a, you know, literal, terrifying, all-powerful figure doing battle with another ter terrifying, all-powerful figure in the skies of Metropolis, destroying large chunks of the city, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I think that I, I actually really appreciate this kind of deconstruction of the character, this idea of what would it look like to real people if a Superman figure showed up. Um, I know the movie takes a lot of the. Uh, I know Man of Steel takes a lot of crap for uh, you know the whole Kevin Costner sequence where you know he's like the the people will fear you and they're not ready for you and that's why he lets himself die in that tornado uh, uh, and. I understand that this is not like the light, happy Christopher Reeve Superman. 
Um, but I kind of appreciate the idea. I appreciate like actually thinking about what it means for Superman for a Superman to exist. And this is one of the reasons why I actually like uh, Batman versus Superman, which the theatrical cut was kind of a disaster. The extended cut is much better. Readers, if you want to, listeners, if you want to check that out, I would recommend that. But again, this it, it takes this idea of you have Batman, who's basically like the best man on the world stage. He's a billionaire. He's a genius. He's, you know, super fit. He's the Olympic. He's got the yeah. beaker in one hand and the barbell in the other and like the 1960s, you know, uh, kind of uh, montage sequence. And uh, he sees these these two monsters flying around, destroying his city, tearing down his skyscrapers, killing people everywhere. And he's like, I have to stop this somehow. And I think that is a reasonable foundation for a uh, a Batman versus Superman type film. Now, a lot of people disagreed, but uh, I, I have always been extremely fond of this kind of slightly darker, slightly more realistic but the, before, idea. Before yeah. we deconstruct Zack Snyder, could we rewind for a moment to talk about the Richard Donner Superman movies? Absolutely. Because... Vic, Why? you love those things, and I, man, I hate them. Were, I can't even tell well, you. Well, there was a real. So please defend Richard Donner <laughs> Superman. Kind of, oh well, here's the thing, and again, I wonder about the current um, battle uh, between comic book movies now in Hollywood. And Hollywood is obsessed with you know these kind of movies now. It has to be a comic book. Everything has to be. That's where the money is in making a comic book movie. But uh, before I get into Richard Donner versus Richard Lester Superman movies. Uh, was all of this just we, – they just had to wait for CGI to come into its own before this could happen? Is that why it was basically? I think, yeah, I think that's Sunny. a big part of it. CGI plus the global market. I would say that's the other thing. Yeah. Once you move into a world – what I mean you could do Superman, the Richard Donner Superman in 1978 without CGI and it worked mm-hmm. great. What you didn't have was a gigantic foreign market to double the domestic take right. and for a – if you are a movie studio looking to maximize your foreign – your foreign business on a picture. Uh, one of the ways to do it is to make it a very accessible, visually stunning picture, which is what super also with pre-sold things that, you know, people, if you are in India or in China, you have probably read Superman books, comic books, and you, you know who Superman is. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the reasons I think at least as much as the technology. Well, I was always wondered about that and why that was waiting to erupt when it did. And I think a lot of it was just because when CGI finally came onto its own, but with uh, the original Superman, there was this battle between uh, Richard Donner and in Superman 2, he got replaced with Richard Lester. And the whole thing had to do with the producers. Uh, I believe their name was Alexander and Ilya Sokin, who were the producers of the Superman movies. And they just had a, a, a disagreement over the direction and the vision of what kind of you know, movie this should be. Richard Donner wanted, to be, uh, wanted this to be very serious, sort of you know, what we would want, what we would expect today kind of a movie. Yeah, there's some beautiful shots in the first one. I mean, he really attacked. He got, they got Marlon Brando, for goodness sakes. <laughs> you know, that, that costs a lot of money, especially in insurance, to get Marlon mm-hmm. Brando. And he, of course, argued about his percent of the take for Superman 2 and things like that. And it was just very difficult. But uh, they wanted it very ser- – uh, Richard Donner wanted this very seriously. And if you – look, there's a scene where uh, Clark Kent, the Superman, is with his mother – in Smallville, in the midst of all the, you know, the, the cornfield, and there's a shot where it pans out, and it's just gorgeous. And, you know, it's dramatic, and it's sweeping, and that's what they wanted. And then when Superman 2 happened, part of Superman 2 was already being filmed by Donner. So, I mean, it was being done almost continuously, and a lot of the stuff was, had, had, was already in the can when uh, the Sawkins decided 
that they wanted to not go in that direction. They picked Richard Lester because they wanted more comic, more hokey, and they said they wanted a flatter uh, picture uh, that you're looking at in terms of like you're looking at a comic book, you know, with the three villains. And so you're looking at these shots that are very sort of just very basic. There's there's nothing very sweeping about them, and uh, a lot of the jokes were later on written in. Uh, they removed Marlon Brando from the uh, second movie, uh, again, because he wanted a percent uh, that they weren't willing to pay him uh, for that in gross points. And uh, But, you know, the Superman, the second one had to do with uh, the three villains uh, from Krypton, mm. uh, General Zod and, uh, and his uh, two uh, cohorts. And in the original version... Uh, you know how they get put. There's that 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 mirror, the Phantom Zone. The Phantom yeah. Zone. They get sent into the Phantom Zone, and in the Donner version, uh, they break out of the Donner's uh, the, Don, uh, the, the Donner zone. zone. The Phantom. The Donner Zone is like uh, where Lethal Weapon lives forever. Yeah. Is the Donner Zone? No, and and they break out of the Phantom Zone because of the MX missile that Superman had uh, turned away. Uh, from New Jersey, from Hoboken, as you know, a oh, Weehawken. You remember, it was supposed to. There were two MX it missiles. Would have been an improvement. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just made the way for the you know the redevelopment as it stands now. Anyway, but uh, so one of those nuclear missiles uh, is the ones that ends up shattering mm-hmm. the Phantom Zone, and that's what frees them. So all that was changed in, in, in Superman Two. In Superman Three, things really go downhill when they decided to bring Richard Pryor in, and Robert Vaughn is the villain, and that one is just all gags, and then. Superman 4 is Quest for Peace. Go ahead, bring it in. Peace. The Quaker yeah, Superman, the, as yes, I like to think of it. That one is Quest for Peace, End of Nuclear Weapons. And I believe that one Superman had Superman 4, Superman versus George Fox. Yeah, yes. No, he uh, he had a Superman. Uh, I, I believe the Superman 4 was uh, Christopher Reeve had a, a real hand in that, didn't he? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, and Christopher Reeve was very much a... Liberal peacenik, so he you know wanted this to be yeah. an anti-nuclear weapons uh, arms race uh, movie, and the villain got his power from the sun, and they brought back Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. And Five John- writers credited on this movie. See, by there you the go. Way. That's how you could tell it was an easy one and done. And uh, and John Cryer was in that movie too. I think as Lex yes. Luthor's yes. son or nephew. It nephew. was just terrible. I I I love Gene Hackman. I will watch Gene Hackman in almost anything. Uh, I think he often makes a movie, like a movie that is a totally pedestrian movie. You put Gene Hackman in it, and it becomes really kind of compelling. Uh, his his choices as he makes as an actor mm-hmm. with Lex Luthor, I found to be absolutely baffling and among the worst acting choices I've ever seen anywhere. Have you, have you ever liked a non-animated Lex Luthor, Jonathan? A non-animated so, Lex Luthor. Non- Kevin Spacey was almost as bad as Gene Hackman. I, I would say much worse, actually. And I I would say that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's Lex Luthor. Mark Zuckerberg's. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg's uh, Lex Luthor, I thought was a really interesting failure. Yeah. it it, it I, To my mind, it didn't work yeah, at yeah. all. Uh, and he plays in, in Superman v. Batman... The Jesse Eisenberg Luther plays actually almost like Heath Ledger's Joker. He's he's not a recognizable Lex Luthor. He really is just the Joker as the head of a corporation. Um, that said, it was an interesting an interesting bunch of choices, yeah. which I thought, like the whole movie, I actually came away from it thinking, boy, this is a total failure and kind of a, a car wreck, but an interesting one that I didn't didn't mind having given two hours of my life to. 
What what I enjoyed was I I did like Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor in the first movie, and I liked his interaction, in fact, with uh, Miss Tessbacher and uh, Otis, played by Ned Beatty. I thought that was great. And they were mm-hmm. living beneath uh, Grand Central Station. I thought that's funny stuff, man. And the stuff, it just, I love those. You always love broad, broad I humor. <laughs> Vaudeville, uh, yeah. just what Victorino Mattis likes. Uh, we've spent a lot of time oh, on yes. Yes, old sorry. DC movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, now. that's let's, all I know, son. Let's uh, let's just say, for the record, that the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is Go JBL. <laughs> I, I I could give you my top four very quickly. Uh, the Avengers. Nobody needs me to defend the Avengers. As I said, it's an amazing contraption. My oldest kid has started watching the Avengers as of the last couple months, and so I've now seen this movie like fifty times. Not end. Age of Ultron, the first one. Yeah, the first one, the first one, uh, and it's really great. Like it's really great, uh, just as a piece of movie making. Uh, the the other two I would put in my my top four, I think, are largely overlooked, and it's a shame. The Wolverine, which is not started Marvel out, Cinematic Universe. You, uh, now you're, well, well, no, now we're it's going to be. It's going to be. I mean, this is so. I would say that the the divide. So there's this people who follow this only halfway may not realize this, but Marvel, when it was facing bankruptcy in the '90s, sold off a bun- the rights to a bunch of its characters to try to keep itself out of uh, out of bankruptcy, and so you wind up with Fox having the rights to the mutants and the Fantastic Four. And Sony having the, the rights. The X-Men movies and the Fantastic Just right. for people who don't know what mutants are. The X-Men movies. And the <laughs> Anybody who's made it this deep into the podcast <laughs> has signed up because this is the Sorry. least accessible Sorry. show uh, we're ever going yeah. to do. It, 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 it's a little too late for my nerd alert announcement. Uh, and, and the Sony had Spider-Man. And, but like the divided Germany of, of the post-war, this, we all know this is an abomination that eventually cannot stand. And all, eventually all Marvel will be brought into one. Uh, so the Wolverine started out actually as a Christopher McQuarrie script. So again, no surprise, it, it wound up as a great movie. And it's the only superhero movie, one of the one of the only superhero movies where the stakes on it are not to save the world. So the story is you have Logan. He is just living as a recluse out in Alaska. And a Japanese woman shows up and says, I will need to take you back to Tokyo because this guy you used to know is dying. And he wants to, you saved his life once and he wants to thank you. So Logan goes and shows up and all of a sudden he's thrust into the middle of this family uh emergency in Japan where the granddaughter of a industrialist is about to inherit the company and a bunch of people are trying to kill her. And Logan decides to try to keep this, including the Yakuza. Yakuza. And Logan decides to try to keep her alive. And so it is in a weird way. It's like the born identity meets lost in translation because you have Logan as this stranger in a strange land. It's a little bit dark. It's an R-rated superhero movie. So you get when Wolverine is killing people with his claws. Like you see people dying the way they would actually die. Uh, And it's great. Like it's really tense. The stakes are very small. Uh, And that, to my mind, this is like one of my persistent complaints about action movies, is that the the best tension comes from small stakes. I always think that you don't need to have the stakes be like the fate of the universe. It could really just be the fate of two people you care about. Anyway, and the, the third one I would go to abbreviate the list is Iron Man 3 which is a Shane Black creation written and directed. And it is, it's really funny. It's essentially just a stripped down detective story. And that and is the movie with Guy Pierce as the villain. With Guy Pierce as the villain. And it is, if you liked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and if you 
don't, then you're crazy. And if you haven't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you should go and rent it tonight because that's the movie that resurrected Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Uh, This is, imagine Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as a superhero movie. That's what Iron Man 3 is. And it even achieves the only time I've ever had a kid as a sidekick in a movie and not have the kid be annoying. Who's the kid? Uh, he's just some kid that Tony oh, Stark right, bumps into. I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's like barely a yeah, side No, I he's thought like, it worked like, out well. I he's thought, the second act. The kid yeah. is the second act. I think act, it worked out because he's a nerd kid. He can tinker with yeah. things right, and he helps him rebuild. But there's no schmaltz doing the deal. No, this is what's no, so great no. about it. This is they, they, So Shane Black leads you by the nose thinking that you're going to get movie schmaltz with the kid mm-hmm. and then sort of gives you the finger. Uh, and it's great. And then I think Captain America Winter Soldier is a really awesome paranoid thriller with, again, really good character work. I thought you could spend the whole movie out on the lamb with Cap and Black Widow. Uh, so those are my my favorite superhero movies, non-Nolan division. We talked about this before the show that I don't think we should include the Christopher Nolan movies in any of this discussion because those are art. Yeah, well, that uh, I think that's fair. That also kind of stacks the deck against DC. It's like, well, you we could, you know, you can count all if the DC films them. except for but the really, three best ones. Tell me how great Green Lantern uh, is. Uh, <laughs> well, that's terrible. It's ter- It's as bad as say Thor two, or uh, it is uh, not as bad as Thor. Oh, no, not, Thor two is, is the, not as bad as second, Green Lantern. The, Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. Uh, look, I've is I, the I, worst aborted no, franchise building movie terrible. since. I don't even absolutely know. terrible. I will say Fantastic Four. My my thing about my yeah. thing about the Marvel yeah. movies is uh, the I never watch any of them again. I have never had an urge to watch any of them again except for Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think is very fun and very very uh, you know kind of light and and do Chris think, Pratt is fantastic. Do you think and, Guardians of the Galaxy is better than any other beloved? Genre movies. Well, Sonny? this is this is a very this is one of my most controversial takes. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, it is the same exact movie as Star Wars: A New Hope. What? 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 But it's better. But it's a better movie. <laughs> Tell me more. Oh, it's too it's too complicated to go into now. We don't have time for this. But uh, if you if you uh, the, follow me on Twitter uh, and, and ping me, I'll I'll fill you in. I found the um, spaceships not to be memorable, but the characters to be memorable. I, yeah, the, the I, you characters know, are great. I just, they the all look like these things floating yeah. around. I just saw this movie yesterday, by the way, so I can tell you with fresh fresh eyes, uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think what really mattered in this movie, well, you have a great cast. Chris Pratt is great. Michael Rooker is great, and he's always an underrated John actor. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Glenn is Close. Great. It is Glenn Close. Close. They're all Glenn great. Close. Everybody's yeah. great. But the soundtrack... Great soundtrack. The 80s mixed 80s, 80s mixtape sound, soundtrack. That's all you need to know. Perfect. It I saves the movie. Love that movie. I love that movie. And as I said, it's really the only, except for the Avengers, which I uh, got drunk one night and was like, "Oh, the Avengers on Netflix? Sure, why not?" Uh, that's how I feel at Blue Lagoon. I mean, that's honest. <laughs> Jeez. That's how my boy. fourth child was conceived. Uh, uh, <laughs> Blue Lagoon, lovely. Oh. God, I feel like we've gone on. You know the thing about Blue Lagoon is I didn't know until later that they were rescued. I, I thought the movie stopped when she got pregnant. No, with no. Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah sorry. So uh, Marvel, Marvel's cinematic universe, <laughs> not that good, frankly. I'll watch Man of Steel ten more times before I watch Captain America. Well, you know Winter what? Not, Soldier. Don't watch Howard the Duck. That's technically a Marvel movie. We had another one coming, you know. A remake of Howard the They're going to no. do another Howard well, the Duck. Well, because this is the end, the, in the end of the, the Avengers. There's the cameo at the end of – no, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's well, right. This is, not, they're not going to make another what, Howard the Duck. What I love about Marvel as a company here is that they, so they had sold off 
the best of their characters. They'd sold off the Hulk and sold off Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and all the flagships. And they said, we're going to build our company on our cast-offs. <laughs> so there was this, remember this internet joke coming out before Guardians of the Galaxy came out? There was this thing where DC had put off doing a Wonder Woman oh, yeah. movie. And you know, the, the, the joke was, you know, DC says, oh, we don't think we can do Wonder Woman yet because we just don't know that audiences are ready for a female superhero carry-around movie. And Marvel was like, hey, we got a raccoon with a machine gun. Let's go. And a talking tree. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. worked. Okay. And it worked. Have you all said your piece now? Yes. Good. Can we move on? DC forever. Okay. On to corrections, and we've got a ton. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to start first? This is from last week's episode, things that you wanted to do, uh, yes. uh, air out, grievances. Yes. The, the first correction, actually, is something I got right, and I couldn't believe that I got it right, that I was going to pat myself on the back for it. I talked about a book called The Devil's Candy, which is a book about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities. The author is Julie Salomon, and I, I mentioned this again not actually to plug myself, but to plug the book, that if you like this sort of thing, you should go out and read it. It's one of the three or four best books I've ever read about Hollywood. Uh, correction number one for me is in the movie Catch Me If You Can, Tom Hanks's character, Carl Hanratty, did not work for the Treasury Department. He was for the FBI ah, Bank I Fraud I said that. Division. Yes. Right. Uh, you asked me, Victorino, Commissioner Gordon in Tim Burton's Batman, Thank and who you. is that played by? The answer is Pat Hingle. Hingle. And the third correction is Sonny uh, was assailing Samuel Jackson, saying that he just plays Sam Jackson in every role he's in. And I went back and looked at this. This is just ridiculous. Um, you have sort of cool Sam Jackson, which he does often, but you also have Nick Fury Sam Jackson, which is very different. You have Steven from Django Unchained, who's very different. Serious Sam Jackson in Black Snake Moan. He does villains like Unbreakable and Jackie Brown. He does action. He even does prestige like in A Time to Kill. And unlike Tom Hanks, Sam Jackson can be in a movie just being on the periphery, adding value as part of an ensemble. He doesn't need to be the big fat star. Team Sam I am imagining, Jonathan, I'm imagining Sam Jackson in all the movies you listed. And to me, I think he's still the same guy. Anyway, yeah, same exact guy. Uh, I, uh, my, my biggest correction for last week, I, I need to apologize to my friends at Roll Call newspaper where I spent the formative years. And twice last week I called it the Roll Call newspaper. That's just not – that's not right. So my was my that bad. it? Otherwise, you were flawless. I think I, I, there was another one, but I can't find no, it in my. You email, rarely so. make mistakes. Okay, I am pretty much perfect. Thank you. As you know, we did a very special episode of Tom Hanks, uh, and uh, some listeners were disappointed. Longtime listener Tim Flacco said, "Quote: We blew it by not mentioning Joe versus the volcano." So here we go: Joe versus the volcano. I hope that he's happy. Bad. I'm just <laughs> mentioning it. Uh, also, somebody mentioned the man with red red shoe, and I actually like that. And I think uh, Jim Belushi and Carrie Fisher, and I think they're great. Uh, and then a few people complained uh, about uh, not mentioning you've got mail or sleepless in Seattle. And I just wanted to tell these people. Uh, somebody uh, on Twitter named uh, Shannon Last or something like that said, "What happened to you've got mail?" And I just want to say I mentioned both of those as my favorite rom com Tom Hanks movies, but somebody. Left that on the cutting room floor. No names. Speaking of things that were terrible. No, no, no names. No, no names. It's just somebody who doesn't like to smell bourbon. Okay. Anyway, don't cry, shop girl, as I say. And also, um, two things about Apollo 13. I was talking about the German engineer, not the scientist, the German engineer, NASA pad leader, Gunter Vent. 
I somehow said space uniforms instead of space suits. Uh, that doesn't space, space costumes. The space uniforms would happen until the United Federation of Planets comes into effect. And uh, I want and, the red shirt. Thank you. I'll take the brown one. And thanks to longtime listener Evan Sparks, who reminded me where that line about Werner von Braun came from. And it's a song from the great Tom Lehrer. Once the rockets are up, who cares? Where they come down? Check it out on YouTube. Uh, that's all I got. What are you boys drinking today? Ah. I'm so glad you asked, Jonathan. Today we've got a good one. Uh, this is called uh, Wassman's Rappahannock Pot-Stilled Non-Chilled Single Malt Whiskey from the Copper Fox Distillery, courtesy of my brother-in-law, Bill Dwyer. It's 96 proof. What did you think, Sonny? Uh, I thought it was tasty. Yeah. I have, I, I, have no, I have no strong objections to this delicious brown liquor. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, it's, you know, it grows on you, like Virginia. I'm Is this made my... in Virginia? Yes, yeah. it's Rappahannock. And, you know, Virginia has been, you know... It's... I'm just going gonna, gonna to reassess what I just said. I take it back. Terrible. They make great whiskeys, and they're very important in elections, as you know. Well, well as last, last night. night. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm enjoying my Zima over here. Even though it was discontinued in 2008, yeah. I kept a stash I of these things where in did my you, basement. Where did you get that tasty-looking Zima? Those have not been sold for years. Bad. There's just enough alcohol for it to go turning sour, I guess. Don't let Vic have those. I know he likes to feed them to the... (laughs) And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of the Weekly Substandard. If you have questions and complaints, you can tweet me at Victorina Mattis or at Sunny Bunch. And Jonathan, no, you don't want to be tweeted at. No. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And we'll, we'll see you at the movies. Get it. Come on. They can't see you blinking. Oh, they can't see me. I'm blinking, which means I must be doing an impression of Gene Gene Shalit. I can't believe of all. So no, the ABC, the ABC movie reviewer NBC, guy. NBC oh, NBC. With the frizzy on hair. Well, what's, no, what's no, not no. at all. Arch, Arch Campbell. Oh, oh Arch you're doing Campbell. the local. I'll local, see you. I love Arch Campbell. He's at, great. Did you ever see, see him at screenings? He's at the screenings all the time still, even though he's not. So he still goes. Oh, yeah. He doesn't review him anymore, but he still goes. That happens. Do you think uh, people will, will get the election? The, the fact that we tape this you know, on a Monday? On a Monday. Before yeah. Trump won? I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> wow. You went pretty dark there, huh? Yeah, well, you know, whatever. You know, I know what's going to happen with North Carolina, Utah, you know, Colorado, Michigan. You know, it's the Brexit vote. Well, it's, uh, it's the Brexit vote Evan all McMullen over. Evan McMullen is going to swing it, too. He is. It's going to go to the tie. They're going to get sent to the House, and then and he gets elected. That's what's happening. That's and the... we're seeing it 24 hours before it ha- happens. Wow. So that's what's really exciting about this special podcast. You heard it here. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that worked? I think it's obvious I'm Team Marvel and you, Zack yeah. Snyder, super fan, uh, or that, Team that'll DC. Work. That'll work. Right? I also get Christopher Nolan, though. Yeah. And Jonathan gets Brian Singer. I ex- <laughs> in a hot tub. <laughs> Outtakes? I thought those were the outtakes. Oh, those were the outtakes? (laughs) I'm sure it was fine.